0: happening, guys. Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Download the DraftKings app today. Use the promo code CHAIL to get in on all the action. So UFC 275 is just a couple of days away. And coming up on today's show, I'm gonna talk about the main event between Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prohaska. And we're also gonna discuss the best path to beating the bullet. But before we get to that, I wanna tell you about a guy that I've been excited about for years. All right, Bo Nickel, how does fight? I'm trusting that you guys saw it. The numbers did great. Numbers, and I'm basing it on social media, but I'm basing it on interaction. I'm basing it on my own pieces. When I talk about Bo, a guy that you're not overly familiar with, who's just making his debut, he's doing great numbers. A lot of people have interest. Now, you want to start with the good, or do you want to start with the bad? I mean, the good is real simple. I told you so. Right? I feel like this whole build-up, this whole piece is so that I consider say, I told you so. But there is another side of the coin. In fact, let's come out and let's be critical. If there's anything that any great wrestler has done, and we've had a number of them come through, and we've had a number of them fall on their face, I won't name them, I don't want to embarrass them, but several great wrestlers, beautiful amateur careers, that come out even in victory, whoa, that guy didn't look very good. Or in defeat, which ends in the first round with some kind of a knockout, they they suffer exhaustion, they can't get their stuff to work, it's clear that they didn't prepare. Bo Nickel chose a strategy much like those guys. Bo Nickel, who is arguing that he is the greatest amateur wrestler to ever come into the sport, which I do get his argument, before we anoint him that, we at least do agree that he certainly got claimed to it, came out and decided to do nothing but punch and kick. Anyone else who has ever done that, it doesn't end well. I've only seen one wrestler come over and be so good with the hands over the body of a career that you do start to get confused and you're not really sure are they better with the grappling or with the striking. One wrestler that converted that much, and that was Dan Henderson. See, some other wrestlers do real well. Johnny Hendricks come to mind, big right hand. Josh Koscheck comes to mind. Over a body of their career, though, they left some of that wrestling behind. And when it was time to turn back to it, they let that tool get dull. Being ultra-critical for a couple of guys that had fantastic careers, but I do share with you, when Bo came out and decided he was going to be a stand-up fighter, every single second that he's on his feet, he's opening a greater opportunity. He's taken his greatest lifelong tool, and he's decided to leave that in the back. That would be the critical side. That would be as critical as I could get because he looked amazing. He got hit a grand total of zero times. He got kicked a grand total of zero times. And moreover, the opponent wasn't even throwing punches and kicks at him. The best defense in all of sport, including this one, is a good offense. The opponent never once was even throwing heat at Bo because Bo had him thinking the whole time Bow had a reaction coming from his opponent the whole time. He had his opponent looking for him, waiting for what he was going to do. Use that offense. Bo's offense has always been great. It was here too. Now, as far as we do look at the kickboxing, it was pretty good. And I don't mean to put that into the category of a professional kickboxer or something along those lines. I'm talking about a wrestler who's come over to the sport that's having his debut as a professional. His third fight overall, it was pretty good. His accuracy was 100%. There was no air balls. He was not wasting time. And his power was natural. Not to mention he was a southpaw that I was not ready for. That's a big deal. If you come out as a southpaw, you're now talking about the same stance that he used in wrestling. He just went upright. And as logical and as much sense as that makes, very few wrestlers have the sense that God gave Geese to do that. They go in and they answer the question that their boxing coach on day one asked them, are you right-handed or left-handed? Then they answer, you got to lie. You have to lie when you're asked that question. I am left-handed, so now you can have your wrestling stance. It's a big deal. The fact that Bo came out southpaw is going to be a problem for a whole bunch of guys, and he lands a hook. When he landed the hook, that was a very hard position to generate power. He generated a lot of power, and that's why I say that he's a natural. But just before he landed that, he landed a straight that was full of power. That's probably the one that changed the fight. Before that, he landed an uppercut. I mean, he showed three different tools... That all landed at 100%, which all had a natural power, which brought him a glorious and a fast victory, and he never had to turn to his wrestling. Now, I'm curious. I would have liked him. I would have liked for him to have turned to his wrestling, because what's he going to do on the ground? The wrestling only gets the takedown. What do you do then? Can you pass? Can you posture? Can you pound? That's always a problem for another day. That's always something you're going to be left to wonder. Overall, it was a great debut. He was very excited that he won, which I like a guy that's excited. I like a guy that doesn't know going into it. Doesn't know for sure I'm going to win. Doesn't know how this is going to go. He was able to work on some skills. He took a big risk. He wanted to show the world, I can do more than just wrestle. He did show the world that. That's the update on Bo Nickel. Undefeated. 3-0 3 0 overall, I think we gotta officially just call him 1 0. We'll look at his amateur record, or we'll look at his professional record. 1 0, Bo Nickel. So, speaking of middleweights, I wanna to bring to your attention something that another legendary middleweight said a couple of days ago. He asked a really good question, and I wanna bring it forward to you as well. Michael Bisping made an interesting piece. And the topic of of Bisping's piece was the biggest fight to get away. The biggest fight in UFC history that was this close to being made that didn't. I'm I'm stalling here because I want you guys to think what yours would be. I want to see if you agree with Bisping. What Bisping put forward was Khabib, Tony Ferguson. The biggest fight ever that got away. Do you guys agree? It certainly would have a good case, right? It was booked five times. I mean, if there was ever a cursed fight, it was booked five times and it went both ways. It wasn't just Khabib pulled out of all five or Tony's side pulled out of all five. It went both ways. I can't remember everything that happened. The number one thing that I remember happened was Tony and the cord and Fox which resulted in a torn ACL I think they even had to take the belt off Tony and they went and did an interim championship. I mean, the whole thing got really weird. Whether that was factually correct or not, don't think you have to correct me, but a lot of things happened. And that's a great one by the count to put forward because there was so many people that were back and forth. I mean, there were people that were dead set that Tony was going to win that fight and other people, absolutely not. Khabib and Khabib was going to maul him. I mean, people were passionate and people were sure. One of my favorite analysis I got And this was before the fifth and final time when these guys were supposed to fight. And they were supposed to fight at the Barclays Center, I believe. For sure it was New York, though. Because I got a breakdown from Josh Thompson. Josh Thompson, who lived in that weight class, who trained with Khabib. I think Josh fought Tony, but save that one. But Josh, had gave me an analysis and it all had to do with New York. And I never heard anybody break it down like this. And it had to do, guys, think back to the BMF belt. Think to when Diaz and Masvidal was stopped, but so many of us thought Diaz should have been able to go on, that that cut should have been able to go on. There was a boxing fight held in New York, and it was something similar, and it was stopped when a lot of people thought, oh, he's okay, and he should have been able to go on. Josh used New York in his analysis because he was talking about the cuts of Tony Ferguson. That when Tony gets taken down, when he, the way he can slice you with those elbows, and he was tying that into the jurisdiction that was going to oversee the fight, which happened to be New York. I think that that's a really valuable clue. I think that that's a really intelligent prediction by Josh to the fact that that fight never even happened. It's been four or five years, and I still remember Josh saying it, because what if? What if Khabib was to do what Khabib does, which is take you down? And what if Tony does what Tony is to do, which is to use those elbows and slice you? And New York looked at those cuts more sensitively. Now, you guys might want to come down that road with me, and you might not. I'm just sharing with uh, with you that that is a fight that people were extremely passionate at the time. Very curious at the time of who could have won. And I think that Tony would fall into that same category of curious. Not totally sure that he was going to win. And so would Khabib. Khabib's father, rest his soul, even made a comment about the threat that Tony provided for his son Khabib. Now, I'm asking you this. Do you agree with Bisping? Is that the fight, the biggest one, that in hindsight, being 2020, wish we could have got? Because I'll tell you another one. And it's the one that I always think of. If somebody asks me the question, going back in time, having all the players, all the pieces, everybody agrees, everybody's willing to do it. UFC wasn't interested in making it. For me, it was Anderson Silva versus George St. Pierre. I think that was the fight that got away. Those two never touched each other. And Anderson Silva versus John Jones falls into that same category. But there was a day That Anderson and Jones were both in town, in town being Las Vegas. And they decided they were going to get a workout together. And they went downstairs into the basement, which was a full workout facility. They got into the ring and they sparred. And Dana went down and watched it. And Lorenzo Fertitta went down and watched it. And both of their coaches, Johns and Anderson, went down and watched it. And nobody ever spoke about that workout again. Nobody. Anderson never gave a clue as to what happened. John Jones never gave a clue. Lorenzo didn't. Nobody ever spoke. I trust there's a tape out there of what happened. I trust this was even videoed and has been kept quiet. But I only, I only bring that one thing to you because as far as the world of curiosity, I think that you guys are going to agree with me. St. Pierre versus Anderson, wow. Probably gets a wow factor, right? But Anderson versus Jones probably also gets a wow factor. It's just some of the great decision makers in that process, including the athletes themselves, had some realm or some sense of an idea and were comfortable with what they saw and were able to push it aside. Whereas St. Pierre versus Anderson, I don't know if they've so much as shook hands. So that's what I would put forward. I love where Bisping's going. If I was to produce a top five for you, I I would definitely have that match, Khabib versus Tony. But it does get me thinking what are the ones that got away what if you could go back and you had the magic wand to wave over and have made a match anywhere throughout time i want to hear from you what is your number one match your dream match that you never got to see transitioning over to 135 pounds it's come to my attention that a big fight is in the works for the division that has been rather slow moving at the top. And I think this one definitely deserves to be noticed. Gino Vera is going to be fighting Dominic Cruz. Now, if there's ever a fight that has been made in recent memory that says, Hey Chael, your opinion is not wanted over here. Well, right, but there is nothing about... I've never said those two guys' names together. I talk about Dominic Cruz more than anybody talks about Dominic Cruz. I talk about Cheeto Vera more than anybody talks about Cheeto Vera. I talk about 135 pounds more than anybody talks about 135 pounds. I've never suggested those two fights. I've been very steadfast in what I want for Dominic Cruz, which is not what Dominic wants for Dominic. I'm having to, like, come in over the top of Dominic and tell it, here's what's, here's what's best for you. And I thought I was close to getting my way when it came to Jose Aldo versus Dominic Cruz. Lots of you guys backed me up on that. Some guy with some art skills even made a poster. They took it back to the uh, WEC days. Put some fun on it. This was going to be for nostalgia. This was going to be for the uncrowned championship. This was going to be for the final WEC championship. Like, there was a ton of things that made sense there. There were also a lot of fun. Now, before we remiss all the other directions I wanted to go with Cheeto and Dominic, here we are. But let's get... Let's get a few things clear. We have to agree on a couple of things as we move forward with this fight. Cheeto Vera is really damn good, yes? Does, any, uh, does anybody here want to disagree with that? Okay, Cheeto Vera has an amazing resume. Can we all agree on that? I mean, as the one and only guy to beat Sean O'Malley, can we agree on that? And I said that's resume. His resume will support that. I don't want to go back to the, uh, but there was an injury... And he was limping around. I don't want to do that. He beat him. Resume backs it up. Do we agree? Okay. Cheeto Vera has beaten world champions. Frankie Yeager comes to mind. Not only beat him, he stopped him. Not only beat him and stopped him, he did it in Madison Square Garden in front of Frankie's own fans. Not only did all of that came from behind to do it. That's a fact. That happened. Does anyone dispute that? Now this is just off the top of my head. i not gonna looked up Cheeto's record. Off the top of my head, I know that he beat the fastest rising star, who is O'Malley, not to mention he's the only one to do it. Off the top of my head, I know that he stopped former world champion Frank Yeager. He might have stopped other world champions, but this is off the top of my head. That matters. And if Cheeto beats Dominic Cruz, who has never lost a fight, unless that fight was being contested for a world championship, it matters. It's got to spring him up. It's got to qualify him for... Something, something has to be in a fight like that. We have to look at Dominic Cruz. If Dominic Cruz, who is supposed to be done, he is supposed to be a stepping stone. He is supposed to be and has been used in a role of we're going to use your name and your accomplishments to shine you up to pass the torch to somebody else. If he steps forward with all of that against him and he wins, that has to mean something that has to qualify him for something. I need your guys' help. Let's decide what that is, and then let's, as a community, bully our way into making it official. I have about had it with Dominic Cruz going along to get along. I have about had it with Dominic Cruz taking extremely hard fights with huge risk that the first time he stubs his toe and it doesn't go his way, you're going to see how big those risks are. He is going to tumble like you have never seen anyone tumble before. It is expected. It is what everybody is waiting for, is for Dominic to stub his toe. But he hasn't done it yet. So if he doesn't do it now against an extremely hard opponent, who's the only guy to beat Sugar Sean, who's got a stoppage win over a former world champion, it's got to mean something. I do feel that that's our job. I feel like if we don't come in and we don't shine up and we don't put a spotlight on some of these massive risk what should be a massive contest. That if we don't come in and do that, then we're failing. It's the only thing that we have over here is a voice with an opinion and a whole bunch of voices with a whole bunch of opinions. And every now and then, we've got to serve that in the right direction. We can't just spend all our time giving somebody the business, smack them over the head and tell them everything that they're doing wrong. I don't know why Dominic accepted this fight. I don't know why this fight got offered to him. I get why Cheeto accepted the fight. I do. Because he's on an absolute run. And for some reason, he gets a little asterisk with the Sean O'Malley fight. I don't agree with that. A win's a win. He gets a little asterisk with the Frank Yeager fight. I don't agree with that. A win's a win. But I do understand the phenomenon. He comes in, talking Cheeto now, and he gets the rub over Dominant Cruz, who has never lost to anybody unless it was a world championship fight. It's got to mean something. And it has to matter. It has to qualify you to do. That's what I need help with. Fill in the blank. But the same true on the other side. Dominic has been kept around to be a stepping stone. He has been kept around to be a guy with some shine that he can pass to the next guy for a very long time. And nobody's taken that torch and nobody's ran with it. And if Dominic stands his ground and he stands his territory and he continues to prove that he's one of the best, at some point he has to be able to prove. He has to be able to use that card that he's slipping under his sleeve. So this is a big fight. I love the fight. I didn't predict for it. I didn't ask for it. But I won't be sour because I didn't get my way. I might have gotten something better. Jose Aldo versus Dominic Cruz is a ton of fun. Cheeto Vera versus Dominic Cruz right now, like that is possibly something better than I asked for. What's at stake? And don't let this one ride out and play out and be done. And then we look back and say, we should have put something on it. Let's put something on it right now. Now, coming up next, I'm going to tell you some very interesting comments I heard from Mike Tyson regarding Conor McGregor. I'll discuss that in a moment, but first, a word about today's sponsor. UFC 275 is stacked. Step into the octagon with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Knockout, submission, or even judge's decision, no matter who wins or how the fight ends. New customers can bet $5 on UFC 275 and get $150 in free bets instantly. Teixeira versus Prohaska, Guys, we've been counting Glover out for a long time. He was never supposed to be the number one contender, let alone champion, and now he's in his first title defense. I think that age is only a number when it comes to Teixeira and you're best to not overlook the sitting champion. Are you looking for a big payday? Check out DraftKings Sportsbook's newest UFC feature, Same Game parlays. Combine multiple bets, like which fighter will win, number of knockouts, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, you can place a Same Game Parlay on Saturday's fight, and if it hits, you'll double your winnings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code CHAIL. Throw down $5 on UFC 275 and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's code CHAIL this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I feel as though I've made this piece a very similar piece, a very similar topic, countless times. But Mike Tyson... Just made a comment as it comes to Conor McGregor. He's just talking about how Conor comes back. And Mike was laying out the best path. He said that Conor should get a few fights in. I think he said three. I think he said a few. Easy fights. Build his confidence. Build that confidence. Get that step back. Get used to it. Work those comments. However you want to say it. The ring, rut. however you want to say it. And then on the fourth time, after he gets those three wins, after he gets that experience, after he gets better, on the fourth one, that's the one that's the big one. If he's going to do a championship match, make it that match. He laid that out. Now, other guys have said something similar. Joe Rogan went uh, a little less far. He didn't make it three matches. He just said his next one. I have come in and told you guys the same thing, that the the problem that Conor ran into his second fight, but his first one back against Dustin Poirier. So, fight two with Dustin Poirier, but the first one of their modern era series. Problem that Connor ran into wasn't a lack of preparation. And it wasn't that Dustin was so much better. It was that Connor had been out for a period of time. If there was any mistake or any underserving of McGregor that we, the community, did in 2020, it's that when he came back on January 19th and fought Cowboy Cerrone in a fight that was at 40 seconds, guys, or was it even 20 seconds? I think it was 40 seconds and he landed 20 punches. Am I close on those numbers? We didn't put him back in there. I mean, you almost have to take that, that Cowboy experience out. There's a lot of positives that came. with the training camp, he went through the licensing, he went through the weigh-in, he did the flight, he slept in the hotel, he did the warm-up, he wrapped the hands. I mean, he had that experience, which is very important, but then you got the in-ring, which is even more important, and that almost didn't happen. That almost did 40 seconds, it just almost didn't happen. Will you take that off the board, my God? We sit him for a whole nother year, and then we throw him in a main event on a different continent in the middle of a pandemic against a straight-up hammer and Dustin Portman. It's pretty obvious in hindsight. Of course Poirier beat him. It's pretty obvious in hindsight. So I came to the same conclusion that Mike and Joe Rogan did, which is if Connor's next fight, if it could be, but I will, I will just go further. And it's, it's very interesting that Mike said this. It's very interesting that Mike Tyson said three fights. Three building fights and then go and do the big one. It's it, it's interesting to me because Mike is speaking from Mike's experience. You could do that in boxing. Boxing is the dirtiest sport in the world, but they will bring in a guy off a bar stool and put a pair of gloves on him. There was a story. They did a mega event a number of years ago, and they brought in a homeless man who had never boxed. It's a true story, and I'm not looking like to... Tease the guy because he was down on his leg. I'm just, boxing will do things like this. So if Mike was in Conor's shoes, that's all Mike's doing. He's being a good human being, following the basic rule. Put myself in someone else's shoes, what would I do? That's what Mike would have done. And if he was in the sport of boxing, that's what he could do. That's exactly how they will. Have, we don't do that in MMA. There's nobody within the Ultimate Fighting Championship that would fit that criteria. Are there guys that are less difficult? Sure, there are. Is there anyone that's an easy fight? Of course not. Let alone that's going to be in a marquee spot, a main event on a pay-per-view against Connor McGregor. No, no, and no, it's not gonna happen. It is not going to happen. I don't know that you're gonna get Connor three more times. I and mean, that's a whole nother part to it. If you think, well, no, we can rig the deck just a little bit, we can manipulate this and we can bring in someone there. You 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 can. But I don't know that Connor's ever going to fall for because you're also speaking to Connor's mindset. Does Connor agree with anything that I just said? Does Connor agree that what bit him in the ass against Dustin Poirier in that return fight was just the layoff? Does he even agree with that? Okay, great. Let's say that we got him. That he does. Now you're coming to another uh, problem, which is that Connor's down in the dumps right now. That Connor is not a positive. He's not upbeat. He doesn't have confidence. That's the word. He doesn't have confidence. Well, how do you know? You have no idea what his level of confidence is. You don't know what he's thinking. You don't know what his experience from that fight with Dustin Poirier is. I had a fight one time. And it was the least I performed ever. In terms of bringing your skills of bringing, bringing competitiveness. Or just take it and just not having it that night. And you're caught and you're on live TV. It's the no of my whole career. Oh my goodness. Blocked it from my memory. Like didn't even happen. Didn't even happen. Did not go out there... But I had this event, and it did happen. At the end of the night, Joe Rogan, I remember what he said, and he was, he was recapping the night. And I was the last, second to last one that he came to. And he said, Chael Sonner has proved that he cannot go with the elite in the division. And I remember thinking that, that was a very interesting comment. That was very strong. That's certainly not going to make me feel good. But it was, a, it was a very strong comment, but it was, a, it was an interesting look into Joe's mind. Joe, had he been in my shoes, would have come to the conclusion that I, I have proven I cannot go with the elite in the division. And I, I remember when Joe said, it, I remember thinking, oh, we're, we're different people. That is not the conclusion that I'm coming to. That is not what I'm going to accept. I am going to learn from this. I am going to change certain things. I am going to work harder than ever, and I am going to come back. I'm just talking about my own career. I don't mean to shine myself up. But I went, I fought five more world champions after that night, all world champions, and I beat three of them. So, no, I, I didn't prove that I couldn't do it. And, but that was the conclusion that was come to. And I think that Mike has come to a conclusion, I think many of us have, that Conor McGregor's confidence is shot. But you don't know that. Conor could have a completely different takeaway. Conor could be sitting on something we don't know about. You don't know how bad that leg was hurt before Conor went in there. You don't know if the version that's been put out or that Conor said, you don't know. Conor might be such a man that he, he already had a fracture, just didn't tell anybody. He might be that kind of a man. So maybe he's got all sorts of confidence knowing, a hey, guy going to my next fight and I just won't have a broken leg. I'll shove it up everybody's ass. You don't know. You also don't know that Connor isn't fully convinced that he was winning that fight and then had this freak injury happen. I'm only sharing with you another side of the coin. Before we get to guessing, first off, we're going to lay out a strategy for Connor to lay one out that is impossible, that we don't do within the sport. I don't know how helpful that is. But secondly, to attempt to get, this is one of the all-time greats, his mind does not work the way most people's minds work, which is why his results are different than most people's results are. Fine line between genius and insanity. I don't know where he sits. A lot of the champions are right on that fence, right? They just march to the beat of a, a different drum. We don't know that he doesn't have confidence. We don't know what he's doing in the gym. We don't know what he truly dealt with leading into that fight. We don't know if he has a very different opinion of how that fight was going. I think it's interesting. I'll give you one more, one more simple example about that. But I had never seen an athlete break in fighting where he breaks. He, mentally, he is broken and come back within the same night. I've seen it one time in my life, never seen it before since. It's Randy Couture in Randy Couture versus Pedro Hizzo Part 1. Randy Couture broke. He quit. He was done. He conceded the fight and gave it to Pedro. In that same match, he came back and he won the fight. I had never seen it before. I have broken in matches. And I will tell you, you do not come back that night. And I don't just mean in that competition, you don't come back that night, you don't come back the next day, you don't come back the next week, it takes you months. It takes you months to rebuild and repair. Breaking mentally, it's a totally different thing than breaking physically or being beat. You get to a point of exhaustion, of damage, of frustration, a combination of those two, and you stop. You accept, this is not my night. It's a very tough thing to go through. Very few people do. Very few people put themselves in positions or are willing to work hard enough to experience that. How'd that happen? The UFC, after that fight, set up the rematch and gave Pedro Hizo at that time, the largest, most financially beautiful contract of anyone in the history of fighting. They thought in the rematch he was going to take out Randy based on what they saw the first time. They thought that Pedro did win the first fight, just lost the decision. Many people did. So they're going to rematch him. This is going to be their new champion. Exit stage left. The natural. Bring in the Pedro Hizo era. And I will just tell you as a teammate of Randy, I was in the locker room with him that night. I was in the locker room with him. Second time that he fought him. I was in practice with him every day. And Randy was as calm as could be when he re-signed that. He didn't train anything and change anything in training. He didn't go into any kind of a panic mode. He didn't try to avoid the rematch with Pedro as opposed to well. He didn't do any of those things. None of the things that you would think a guy is going to do, because I know exactly what the UFC saw. I saw it too. Pedro's younger. History says Pedro should have won that night. Pedro has the answer. I I get it. Pedro's going to win the rematch. Pedro's going to be champion. We all saw the same thing. But I heard something that you guys were not exposed to, which is Randy Couture simply saying, the reason I ran out of energy in Pedro Part 1 is I screwed up my warm-up. Now, Randy never told anybody this. Randy never made any excuses. I guarantee you guys don't know this story. But what Randy had shared with us in private is, I screwed up the warm-up. I got in there, I thought I was going on at such and such time. First off, I did a 40-minute warm-up. I should have done 20. But then I didn't go on. Something happened, I cooled back down, so I got back up and I did another 40 minutes. I worked out in the back for 80 minutes. I was tired when we got in there. It wasn't I got exhausted in the ring. It wasn't Pedro wore me out. I got worn out in the back before I ever walked out. I'm not going to do that again. That's all he said. It was very simple. And I remember thinking, that's ridiculous. And uh, we got to the venue for the second one. And sure enough, he warmed up about 18 minutes. He went out there. He was absolutely full of energy. He never lost a single round. And he didn't even go the distance. He stopped. The younger Pedro Hizo. You guys, you guys have never heard that. A guy changed the performance in the same contest as against the same, doing the same thing. He changed the performance. Beat a guy worse, beat him easier because he changed how much he warmed up. Yes, Randy knew that was what happened. He knew internally. He said it. Alcho would be a, another example for you. You only got to go back four weeks. Aljo was full of confidence going to the on-fight. He was full of confidence because he knew in the first fight that wasn't him. He knew it wasn't him because he knew he botched the weight cut. He knew to fix that performance against the same guy to just fix the weight cut. Okay, is it an excuse or is it the truth? You won't know till it's after. It turned out it was the complete truth. That was not at all the same Aljo that showed up the first time. So I'm only sharing, you don't know what's going on in Connor's mind. You're electing from an outsider to do what Rogan did to me. Oh, he's done. He can't go with these guys. What are you talking about? Some guys, that's a totally different motivation. Some guys are real fighters. Some guys get up. Some guys don't stay down. Some guys find a way when finding a way is hard. And you got other guys that go out there and they find tomato cans and look tough in front of the world as a way of giving themselves some pride. I'm not saying that either guy is wrong. I'm saying this world has different kinds of guys. And I don't think any of you know what type of guy Conor McGregor is. To close out today's show, I want to turn our attention to UFC 275. And the two big stars of the evening, Glover Teixeira and Valentina Shevchenko. How do you beat the bullet? How would you answer that question, guys? Put on your coaching hat. How do you beat the bullet? What would you come up with? Did you come up with anything? (laughs) Well, well, there's a way to beat her. Of course there is. We know that, of course. Everybody can lose. Every dog has his And How many expressions do you want to do? The bullet is as close to a perfect fighter as I've ever seen. If somebody wanted to say that the bullet is the greatest fighter in the world, they want to have an argument, is John Jones and those skills the greatest that the octagon has ever seen, or is the bullet, right? I'm not going to look at you as somebody that doesn't want to appear chauvinistic, even though you are. You don't want to appear chauvinistic, so you're going to say the bullet. I, like, I would, t- I would listen to you. Her skills are unbelievable. She is a thing of folklore. It's a rumor that she speaks seven languages. There's a rumor that she's trained the military of her country, not only in unarmed combat, that she's trained them in armed combat. I can't prove that to be true. I've been told that. You guys have been told it. I believe it. Her mother allegedly was a world champion in something. And I want to say it was judo. I mean, like every single piece of the story of the bullet is folklore. It's nobody that you meet. It's nobody that's alive in 2022. It's always somebody that came along before cameras came along with all the witnesses are dead. If signs were, were drawn, pictures were drawn into stone or written into sand. I mean, it's one of these things, like this is real life and this is happening. That doesn't mean that she's unbeatable. You could beat the bullet in a fight on her feet. And you don't have to be better on your feet than she is to do it. You could beat the bullet on the ground and you don't have to be better on the ground than she is to do it. The rules allow for that. The best way to be really good at MMA, if you want want to get great fast at MMA, you want the absolute crash course. Sit down, look at a plethora of sports that go into MMA. Look at a plethora of disciplines. Identify what is illegal within those disciplines Bring those with you to the octagon. That is the fastest way to get good. Fast. Quickly. I'll just use wrestling by example. In wrestling, you must stand your ground or be going forward. It is illegal. It is against the rules to back up. Why? Have you ever asked yourself that question? And when I say look at what is legal, I'm not talking about being dirty. I'm not talking about cheating. I'm not talking about, oh, a thumb in the eye or a fish hook or you bite the guy. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about you look at the rules. You see what is not allowed within that discipline. That is a big clue for you. Oh, that works. They don't ban things in disciplines because it could hurt the opponent or because it's dull for the audience. They ban them because it's so goddamn effective, it would ruin the sport. Are you aware of that? It's really important that you are. Super important that you understand that. In the sport of wrestling, you must stand your ground or go forward. The reason is if you back up or your opponent back up or you both back up, nothing's happening. If he's coming forward and you're backing up, he will never score on you. There is no way to wrestle a person who doesn't want to wrestle. It would ruin it. Are you aware of what I'm saying right now? So if you get into a cage fight against a wrestler and you don't know how to wrestle, just back up. That's all you have to do. That wrestler will have no success. Just back up. I I realize the variables. I realize eventually you're going to run into the fence and there's certain problems with that. But that is the the absolute number one thing for anti-wrestling. If you don't want to deal with somebody who's a superior wrestler, back up. They will not know what to do. There is no technique ever created. There is no wrestler in any college in the Division One ranks or below that has ever worked on or been taught a technique to do if the person is backing up. They don't work on that because they don't have to do it. They don't have to do it because it's against the rules. So you go into MMA, back up. Back up the whole You'll never get out-wrestled. But then let's take a look at boxing. Boxing, the second you clinch, they will break you. That's a massive clue that clinching is effective. If you're ever in a striking contest with somebody who's better than you, grab them. But then stay there. Don't break up. Massive clues. I bring that to you because how do you beat the bullet? You could beat her on her feet without being near as good as her. You're going to have to clinch her. You're going to push her. You're going to have to hold her against the fence. You're going to have to do some of these things. You're going to have to get your hand on her. You're going to have to do the old randy couture, get behind the collar, start punching her here, come down to the body, start to wear on her. It's always going to be an intangible. Whenever you're dealing with something, with somebody who is better than you, it's one of the intangibles. By example, if you can out condition them, it doesn't matter who's better. It does not matter if you're a white belt and they're a black belt. If they get tired and you don't, you win. Do you believe that the Bullets opponent this weekend has the ability to weaponize pace? Because that's actually one of the Bullets' great weapons. She's not only more skilled with the punches and the kicks and the grappling and the submissions and the techniques, she can do them harder and throw more at the wall than her opponents do. But I'm still bringing to you, there's ways to beat her. That's one. Throw more at her. You don't have to be better than her if you get her tired. You don't have to be better than her if you can out-position her. That's where the fence, that's where the cage control starts to be so relevant. The same thing comes with the straight-up grappling. You can have a purple belt beat a black belt. We see it all the time if the purple belt is the one who gets on top. They've been playing this, this game a number of different ways with a number of different philosophies since 1993. One thing from 1993 weighs over to 2022, which is if you can get on top and stay there, You win. So there's ways to beat the bullet. And you don't have to be as good as her to do it. People lose fights all the time. The better person loses all the time. It happens every single Saturday, somewhere on the card, maybe a fight that isn't featured that you're not looking at and paying full attention to. The better fighter loses all the time. He gets tired. He gets nervous. He gets out positioned. He gets frustrated. It's rinse and repeat. It's not a matter of you got to go out and beat the bullet for five rounds. You don't even got to beat her for four rounds. The rules say that you got to beat her for three rounds, which if you got to beat somebody for three rounds, really means you only got to find a recipe to beat them for one round and then duplicate it two more times. This isn't rocket science. It's an ass whipping contest. You have five frames. Can you win one of those five frames? If the answer is no, we have nothing to see here. We have nothing to discuss. But if the answer is yes, If you find somebody who you're extremely confident, they can win, they get five tries to win one. They can win one of those. They just need to take that recipe and duplicate it two more times. It's not about who's better. I coach wrestling. I'll tell wrestlers this all the time. If you are objective and you are a logical thinker and you look at the person across from you and you come to the conclusion they are better than me, that's fine. You don't have to be better than them to get your hand raised. You just gotta have more points than them when time runs out. So can you win one of five? Great, if you can, duplicate it two more times. Prohasker versus Tashar. What do you guys think here? And this is interesting. I was just over at DraftKings. Now, this is what I consider even money. That, of course, is not true. I consider anything that's a plus one, finish the thought, or negative one, finish the thought. I, in my, head, even money. So you've got Prohaska's the favorite. Okay. He's, he's plus 195. Right this second at DraftKings, Glover is minus 165. That's close. Now, in the reality, that's about a two to one split. But I only share that with you, even, even with my own vernacular. I only share that with you because for a cup of coffee at DraftKings, there was a mythical fight once upon a time that was going to be Prohaska versus, uh, Jan. And it was drastically different odds. Now, why do I bring that to you? Because if I ask you guys who's going to win between Prohaska and Glover, you're going to say Prohaska. I get it. But you're not saying Prohaska because you've thought this through clearly. You're thinking this because of all of the obvious signs, number one of which points to the age. Age jumps off the charts. Glover should not be in this position. He should not be champion of the world. Neither should anybody who is 40-plus years of age, right? We all understand that. We all get that. We love it. We feel good about it. We like Glover to win. But that's a completely different conversation to who are you going to pick publicly in front of your friends who you want to seem like a smart guy, and moreover, who you're going to part your money with. So then you do go to MMA math. And people love to say MMA math doesn't work. MMA math works all the time. It is the single greatest jumping off point for placing a bet that there is if two guys have a common opponent. How do they both do with said opponent? So when I'm looking at Glover right now, right this second, minus 165 at DraftKings, that strikes me as very good money. Now, let's take a look at this. I will fully admit to you guys, nobody's more of a name dropper than Chale, So don't think you have to call me on that. I know that about myself. It gives me a slight tickle though. When I know somebody who goes on and does really well and is on TV, that's a big deal. Or if I meet a guy who's already on TV, yes, I will come and mention it. I get it. But ever since Glover became champion, then me and the stories of Glover and Chale in the training room, you start hearing more about them. In all fairness, it was a couple of weeks, but I did learn a lot about Glover. I really did. I knew Glover was really good. I didn't have to go in the practice room and grab a hold of him. I didn't have to punch and kick with him to know those things. It was the attitude. If I left there with anything in my time in training with Glover in those brief couple of weeks, it was the attitude. I can remember specifically a day the workout is over. Workouts at Glover's gym, same as anywhere else. You warm up, you go over some technique, you get your live sparring in, you do some conditioning, you call it a day, and you go home. Same as every other gym in the world. But when we got to the very end of it, which was the conditioning, I just remember the attitude. We were all on our bikes, you're you're struggling. It's whatever you got left, you're trying to leave. And Glover's doing a chant. Glover's doing a chant that the whole room is is copying along with. And he's talking about how, how grateful he is to be in this spot. How much he loves his life. He's yelling this out loud. I remember I could barely move. I'm so tired. I turn my head and look at him, and he, he's, he's got a glow. This wasn't an act. This wasn't the guy that's acting like he's positive. It was real. He was genuinely grateful to have the opportunity to be in a gym at 11 a.m., using his physicalities, working towards a goal that he dreamed about. It was real. And of anything that I ever left there with in any time or anything that I ever appreciated with those workouts with Glover, it was that. But it's very relevant. It speaks to the idea. How do you be 40 plus? Why can so few do it? And it's really rare and it's really celebrated. Let's go right off the top of our head. Randy Couture, Brett Favre, that quarterback, the good looking quarterback's got to be in there. I always want to call him Manning, but it's not me. Brady, he's got to be over 40 by now. How do some guys do it and some guys don't? You'll always hear the audience speak about so-and-so in his prime. And this is a part of society and a vernacular that we just live with. We live with this idea of in our prime or somebody else in their prime. But not one person is ever fair about that. People love to throw the term out because they know it's going to bounce back and come to themselves. So we're all just happy to get up and walk out of the room at their prime. But we never really dig into what that means. We all act like it's a physical component because we refuse to admit that it's a metal component. When you are in your prime, it is not when your body feels at its best. It's not when the DNA, the magic wand at birth is waved over. You happens to just be at its heights. It is 100% tied to your mental focus and motivation. When you are getting your best results in the game, in the match, on the field, It's when you wanted it the most, when you were the happiest to be there, when you were the most engaged, when it hadn't gotten old, when it didn't become a burden, when something that you wanted to do, you hadn't done so many times and it now became a chore and or a job. That's when you were in your prime. And when you left your prime is when mentally you'd done enough of it. You were over it to some degree. You had those happy moments. You had those times you wanted to be there that turned into I have to be there. It's an absolute mental component and nobody ever wants to admit that and I'm not sure why. I don't think that it shows a weakness to like something and be into something and then have done enough of it that you are now interested in going and trying something else. I don't think that it shows a weakness, but society as a whole feels that it does. So they love to talk about somebody's prime. Somebody whips somebody's ass. They don't like the result. Well, so-and-so wasn't in his prime. How do you know? That would be nothing that you could see. It wouldn't be incumbent on you, the viewer, at all to say that he's slowed down. He's done these different. Why did he slow down? Because a day went by or a week went by or a month went by or a year went by? That's not what makes anybody slow down. You're either working his heart or you're not. You're either as engaged or you're not. And you could tie all sorts of things to it. To how much sleep do you get? What time do you get to practice? What's your recovery like? What's your nutrition like? All these things are absolutely splitting hairs. But I will admit when you're in a game this close those tiny little splits of the hairs do matter. Guy doesn't just get out of his prime. Guy doesn't want to do it anymore. So when you do talk about a Glover to Sherry, you were talking about an attitude. I don't know Brady. I don't know the quarterback, but I would have to imagine he absolutely loves it. To have the level of success that he's had, to have the money that he's had, the fa- everything that he set out to do, to have all of that and still want, still be driven every day to get up and go, do it. he's got to have the right attitude. I could tell you firsthand being in the room with Randy Couture. Made it till he was 47 years old, world champion at 44 years old. It absolutely was an attitude. He wanted to be there. He wanted to learn new technique. He wanted to sit and study tape. He wanted to see what the next generation was doing. In all aspects of the game, he was still curious. And the guys who remain curious and the guys that want it the most get these really great results. And then it's easier for us who didn't get what we wanted to then blame it on their DNA. Blame it on his physicality. Or when your hero's light dims out to say that he's no longer in his prime. You wouldn't know. You would not know. Because the your, your, your prime strength is not here. It's here. It's always been here. And when you're dealing with somebody like Glover, I do think that that's very meaningful. He's going to go in there. He's going to deal with Prohaska. He's dealt with guys like Prohaska his entire career. He 100% can beat Prohaska. Prohaska, of course, has the power. He has the length. He has the finesse. He is the youth. You would imagine he's got the hunger just because he hasn't climbed up there yet. He hasn't been to the top of the mountain and put his flag down the way Glover has. So you might theorize. But what's going to happen if they start trading shots? I know it was supposed to happen if Glover and Jan started trading shots. But we also know what did happen. What happens if the fight gets drawn out? What happens if the athleticism goes away? Who the better fighter is, who's sharper, who's hunger, who's more polished, all these different things, that goes away three, four, five minutes in. You get into the second round, it's no longer about who's better. It is about who's tougher. You get into the third round, it is about who's tougher. Who's been managed their energy, who's more proficient with it, who's got more left, who's hungry. You start to get to the fourth and fifth round, it is purely about who wants it more. There is nothing else being tested. So it's a, it's a very interesting fight. It's a very interesting bet, but not for the reasons that some might think. I think in a in a normal atmosphere, I could see DraftKings having this as a three or four to one split for Prohaska. share is a different animal and he's getting shown that respect. It's not about who's stronger. It's about who wants it more. It's not about who's younger. It's not about who's hungrier. Does one want to become champion more than the other one wants to hold on to the championship? That's what this fight's about. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Real quick, I want to urge you to leave the show a review. If you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll to the bottom of the page or click Write a Review. Or if you're on Spotify, just click the button with the stars on the show page. Thank you for that, and I look forward to seeing you all on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.